So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke 10. And we're going to read the first four verses of Luke 10. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 10, sorry, verses 1 uh, through 4. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of of wolves. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We can gather as family, open up your Bible, and hear from you. That's what we need. So we ask that you would aid us in that. We ask that you would be, your spirit would be present, uh, helping our hearts and helping our ears. And so we ask this um, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So evangelism, as I was sitting down to write this sermon, get my thoughts down on paper, I opened up my computer, I got the Microsoft Word out, and I'm not a super great typer, so I put on the Dictate app, and I said, sermon, colon, space, evangelism, thinking that I put sermon, colon, space, and then put the word evangelism, but all that was there was sermon, colon, space, the word space, evangelism, and I kind of looked at it, I was like, space evangelism, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> And I think, I think that it's kind of, it's comical, but we really we often think we, we can think about space evangelism, evangelism like that. It's something out there, it's something foreign, it's something on the frontier. I don't want to go there, it's dangerous, it's scary. I don't have that inner Elon Musk that I'm going to pop in some pod and go out there for a little bit before I come back. So the goal of this sermon is to take space evangelism and normalize evangelism. To bring it down from something that's foreign and something that I feel like I can't do, and bring it down to a level that's ordinary, genuine, authentic, something that we could all rally around, all participate in. So we want to normalize it. We want to normalize evangelism and even like just having conversations. Hey, I shared the gospel with my neighbor this week. So one of the, the goals also of this sermon is just that we would take small baby steps. I'm not like that coach that's going to come in during the second period and try to rally the troops up to go out there and get it done in the third period. It's, it's, it's not that at all. We need the Holy Spirit to make this a prolonged, sustained, and enduring effort. So this is one step towards normalizing evangelism in this church. And this sermon, you can hear this sermon, and actually a lot of the points in this sermon simply help us live the Christian life. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Evangelism is just one part of following our King Jesus. So we're going to look at those, and we're going to do that through four different areas, four categories. We're going to talk about clarity. We're going to talk about obstacles, motivations, and moving out. So clarity, obstacles, motivation, and moving out. So that we're going to begin with clarity. And I think clarity is just a good, good place to start. What do we mean when we say evangelism? What does it involve? Who is it for? Why would we do it? So that is, I was thinking about a definition for evangelism, I want you to hear this. I want you to think about evangelism. I want you to think about showing the value of Jesus 
by taking the gift that we've received and passing it along to somebody else. Showing the value of Jesus by passing along the gift we've received to somebody else. So even that word evangelism, really what it's getting at is just gospel, good news, and practicing it. But I think it's more helpful when we think of just sharing, proclaiming, announcing, getting after sharing Jesus with words. That might be just a a bit more of a more biblical term for us too. You read the Bible all over the scriptures. People are proclaiming, pronouncing the gospel. So again, I really want us to click in on that and, and grab hold of that, showing the value of Jesus by passing that gift along to somebody else. And sometimes imagery is helpful. I love a quote. It's by D.A. Carson. He says about a Christian, we are never more than poor beggars telling other poor beggars that there is bread. That's what we are. It's a good imagery of, of a Christian life. And I love that because we need that same bread. We need that gift. So we know how good it is for our souls. We know what it's like to know Jesus. So we should just be all the more freed up to just pass that along. So I want us to see this kind of sharing at the gift, sharing Jesus in Scripture. I'm going to read one. I'm going to ask you to turn to another verse. But I want you to look, uh, listen to this. This is John 1, 40 through 42. And this is just after John the Baptist has come and he's made those great statements that I must decrease, Jesus must increase. And Jesus comes along and he says, Behold, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says in John 1.40, one one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Simple but profound. Here's this Jewish man at this time period, and he's just heard that the promise of the Old Testament has arrived. The hope of the Old Testament, the person of Jesus that the Messiah is here. And the first thing he does is he goes back home and he grabs his brother. And he says to him, what? Come meet this man. He leads him to Jesus. So he sees the value of Jesus. And he goes and grabs someone and brings him to him. Let's turn now and see this in Colossians. Flip with me there to chapter 1. verses, And we're going to read verses 3 through partway through 7. Now again, I want us to think about passing along and sharing the gift that we, has come to us. So Colossians 1, 3 through 8 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we hear of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. As indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So here again, there's just kind of in in, in just those bunch of verses, there's this statement that the word has come to them. It arrived. How did it arrive? Look down at um, verse, it might be verse verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved brother. How did it get there? How was this church formed? How was there new life and fruit born? Epaphras cared enough about these people, trusted enough in the message of Jesus that he brought it to them, and it bore fruit. 
So that's wonderful news. A church was formed. So we see that. And you can just read, it's all over the New Testament verses like these statements like this. So clarity and just what do we mean by when we say evangelism? Showing the value of Jesus by passing that gift along to somebody else. And we can teach our kids this as well. We get need clarity on just what is the gospel? What is it about Jesus, the person and the work that we want to pass on? And think of it, we can think about, um, there was a, there's a local pastor and he teaches young people in his church. He just takes his hand, he holds it out like this, and says, Jesus died for my sins and rose. You can just tell your kids that. Jesus died for my sins and rose. I got it wrong the second time. And you can, and it's beautiful. It gets at the, the heart of the gospel. That's literally just 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Things of first importance. So we need to get us on the same page of what is the gospel. And the gospel is this, that we were made in the image of God to worship him, to serve him, to love him, to live under his rule and reign, a holy and good and just God. And we decided we didn't want to do that. So we sinned and transgressed by leaving his good authority and good rule. And we decided to live in life and plan our own life. And Adam and Eve did that, and we all participate in that as well. And sin, that's what the Bible calls sin, choosing our own way over God's clear revealed way and character. And that brought about a penalty, brought about brokenness and alienation and separation between us and God. But God, out of his riches and his mercy and his justice, did not let us stay there. So he sent his son Jesus down into the muck and the mire of this broken life that you and I know and experience. And he took it on, and he actually did more than that. He bore our sins on himself. And he paid the penalty on the cross so that we could be made right with him. Sins forgiven and a righteousness given. So that anyone who turns and trusts and repents says, I don't want to live as my own king anymore. I want to say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. And I confess that. And I turn. You can receive the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gift of forgiveness, that gift of Christ himself, his right life, his righteousness can be yours. So getting on the same page about what the gospel is, is immensely important. And why we do it is almost equally as important. Listen to Matthew 6. It says in Matthew 6, when we think about why we do it, it says in Matthew 6, just listen to these verses, 9 and 10. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we want to pass this gift along to other people? So that the character of our God and his Christ can be hallowed and honored. That's how worthy Jesus is. Every tribe, tongue, and nation of people from them will worship one day King Jesus. So worship should drive our sharing the gospel. The value of Jesus Christ we pass on to others so they can see the value and praise him for who he is. But even just speaking that, it's this kind of brief talk on clarity in our hearts, we see that taking the gospel, showing the value, we agree with that. We long to see these pews filled so that people can praise. But we come face to face with the roadblocks and the obstacles that go into that as well. And I think we need to get clarity on them as well. And there's a host of them, but I have a list of just a few obstacles and a few lies that we might have as well. Obstacles is just simply, it's an obstacle to try and pack five kids into a van in the wintertime to drive just 15 to 20 minutes down the road. It's hard work. <laughs> That's an obstacle. That's life. But lies are something we can actually listen to, absorb, and believe that will stifle our evangelism. 
That's the second section. What are these obstacles? What are these lies? And I think the first one, when I think about evangelism, sharing the gospel, is just fear. We are easily afraid. It's hard. It's hard to go out and tell someone about Jesus because Jesus himself came down and was rejected and despised, wasn't received by everybody. So our heart's longing to see Jesus received sometimes is met with rejection, snickering, laughs. I remember the first time I shared the gospel when I became a believer, I gave my life to Christ, and I, I went out and I told my friends, there they were, friends of 10 years or more, good relationships, loyal, loving relationships, and I said, I just spilled it out as kind of a new believer would, probably improperly, and, but they just kind of, like, what, what is this? <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you talking about? Why would you tell me this? You're, you drank the Kool-Aid, Matt. Just tone that down a little bit. And that's, sometimes that's what we receive. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And maybe some of you in this room have received that in families, by coworkers, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children. And that fear can make us say, you know what, this is just, I'd rather not go through that. So I might just take a step, step back and do it a bit less. And I think the flip side is, though, of that is that I think we're afraid of it too much. I think, I think the Lord will surprise us when we step out in faith. So that very same friends group that I shared the gospel with early on that I got laughed at and kind of like, hey, just cool that, tone that down a little bit. Actually, the Lord has used that gospel reality in my life to kind of stand as a lasting witness that they might actually even come back to you and, and talk to you. So I think we can fear that a little bit too much, but it's an obstacle nonetheless. Another obstacle would be, we've even prayed about it this morning, is the fact that our hearts are often cold. They're not as on fire as they should be for loving people. So this, this next obstacle I just called, we have cold hearts and we're meeting hard hearts. And that should drive us to prayer all the more. If it's up to me to sustain following Jesus and evangelism based on my own love for people, it's just going to kind of start like this and just slowly peter out over time. Because I don't have a lot, enough love in and of myself for people. So that's an obstacle. Another obstacle would be we meet hard hearts. Similar to fear, we meet people that just, they need a new heart. The Lord says in the Old Testament that he's going to do a work in, in, in coming in the future that's going to take a heart of stone and he's going to replace it with a heart of flesh. So meeting a hard heart is an obstacle. We see our own weakness, our own inability. And that too can make us kind of want to take a step back and recoil from evangelism. So we're not always brimming with zeal. There is obstacles. Even just think of time. Life is busy. Life is full. Families, work, jobs, fatigue. To kind of fit that in our schedules, that's an obstacle. But almost more influential and weighty are the lies. I'm just going to read some of the, uh, some lies off to you. And I'm encouraging you, even after the sermon, as we kind of want to, this would just be the beginning of, starting to talk about evangelism between ourselves as church members. Talk about the obstacles you have. Talk about the lies that you've maybe received and believed in other periods of time. This won't be an exhaustive list. But maybe you can connect with some of these. Lie number one. You need to get out there and convert people. You need to do the work of conversion yourself. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe there's another lie. I can't convert people, so I'm going to leave that to God. I'm going to sit back and watch. Your co-workers and neighbors, they're older than you, smarter than you. You're younger. They won't want to listen to you. No sense even bothering. Another one might be, it's just not my calling. The Lord's called other people, but not me. My personality, it's a bit introverted. 
this calls for a bit more of a charismatic flavor. Here's another one that we, like, I connect with myself. Lord, I'm just not feeling it today. I'm not emotionally there. I don't have just the, the feelings that I think are prerequisite for going out and reaching people. So I want you to listen to this church with those lies in mind. That God has never asked us to be perfect, the perfect evangelist. He's actually uh, placed you where you are in your weakness to do work. He's never said go without first providing the support you need. He's never told his children that he only uses certain people, certain personalities to get the job done. And he's never told us that you just need to feel a certain way with a proper amount of emotion to be useful. And he's not left us without clear words to all of us, letting us know what is our role and how we do participate. So we need to confront these lies with truth. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, uh, 4, 4 and 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh and blood, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Strongholds, lies, lofty opinions hinder evangelism. Do you see that? It's our thoughts. We need to take these captives so that we can obey Christ. There we go, back to again, just following Jesus. Evangelism is just one aspect of following and obeying Jesus. So here's these obstacles and here's these lies. What is the propulsion we need? What, what's the motivation that we need as Christians? That's our next section. So we get clarity, we get obstacles. We long to see the value of Jesus shown, given to others. So what are motivations? If it's not have the proper program, find a better personality that's a bit more chatty and talkative, what are they? I want, to, I want us to think about cooking this morning before we talk about our first motivation. I like to cook. Maybe some of you like to cook as well. And you, you like to cook maybe a fun new meal. Go on YouTube, find the ingredients, get it all ready. And then you get home and you start to make it and you realize, I do this often, oh my goodness, I forgot one of the ingredients. A key ingredient. So I go on Google and I say, hey, Google. I speak to Google. And I say, give me a, a, an ingredient replacement. Give me something I can use as a supplement for this. And I want us to just at the outset, when we think about evangelism, there is no substitute, no look-alike, no, no substitute for a love of God and God's love for us in evangelism. That ingredient cannot be replaced. We need it. We desperately need it. My heart, again, is not warm enough for people to sustain it. No, I need to be changed and I just love this verse, John 3.16, one of the most simple, basic verses that we memorize in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see that? That's the surpassing scope and width and height and depth of the love of God. He gave his only son. What value? What we've been given is immense so that those who believe might not perish but have eternal life. There's the scope. The love of God comes into this broken world through the second person of our Godhead and he saves people so that we can not perish but have everlasting life so we can enjoy the love of God the Father forever. That's the motivation we need. God loved me. Galatians 2.20, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Undeserving, broken people. 
And that's what we need to get our eyes on. That's great motivation for going out. And we see this in the Bible. So 2 Corinthians 5.14, this was Paul's motivation to go as well. Just let me read it to you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So it's the love of God, it's the love of Christ that takes me from living for myself and living for him. It's the love of God. That love of God has power. Do you believe that this morning? That the gospel is the power of God to save? And not just save me out of some situation, save me into the best life-giving whole relationship a human being can have. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the love of God. So it's not our love that we start with. It's God's love. For we didn't first love him. But he first loved us and he manifested that by sending his son Jesus into the world to die, to rise, to win the victory, and to capture the hearts of his people. So we start with the love of God. That's what actually motivates me to love other people. God loves people. Jesus came to save people. So they're not just random people that are in my neighborhood that kind of live beside me and they drive a car to work and they come back at 5.30 p.m., So the love of God saves us from sales pitch evangelism. I'm just going to kind of give it to you. Like you're not a person. You're not real. You don't have real heart and soul. You're not loved by God. No, it makes our evangelism authentic and real because it fills it with love. So let's get our eyes, church, on the love of God in Christ Jesus to motivate evangelism. Another motivation is the local church. You ever think about that? Motivation for evangelism, one of them is the local church. That's interesting. When we think about the local church, it's a group of people that have been redeemed that gather in a building like this to worship God and Christ Jesus who saved them. We sit under his word and we glorify his name. We sang that this morning. Magnify the Lord with me. Come, exalt his name together. So the God, this church building is motivation for evangelism because like a pinball machine, that the gospel should just be moving around, pinging around, hitting everything in this building. We preach it, we sing it. That's that little kid's book I have for Hudson. Read it, see it, say it, sing it. I don't know if you guys have that. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Adults can learn from that as well. Read it, see it, say it, sing it. And just have that gospel moving in this midst. That's what we're called to do. Stir one another up. We practice the gospel in here. We forgive in here. We bear in here. We listen in here. We love in here. So the, God, the local church is also motivating for evangelism because we learn how to love in here. Loving people out there is not different than loving people in here. The need out there is no different than the need in here. Do you believe that? So we learn to love in here. So let's engage in real relationships Seize time after the service to rub shoulders with a few people in real conversation. What struck you from the sermon? How's life been this week? Hey, I heard last week you told me you're going through a hard time. What's that been like? And then you see the gospel actually going to real people's lives and see how it sustains and makes a difference. So the local church is a great um, motivation for evangelism. It's a little gospel center. There's no lone range Christians in the Bible. 
There's a people, and God has given this gift to us. It's the pillar and buttress of truth. And he tells every single one of us, go and make disciples. So that's just part of being a disciple. We come and gather, and we are learning and sharpening each other as disciple makers. And part of that is encouraging each other to evangelize, to go out and share. Lastly, I think there's just a, we read at the beginning of our sermon, Luke 10, verses 1 through 4. And there are many motivations for evangelism, but I think this one is beautiful as well, and that is the fact that we are in the harvest. I heard this verse from a pastor in St. Catharines, and he just simply, simply took that verse that we read, that there's a Lord of the harvest, and he calls his labors to go into the harvest. And he just lifted it up and said, Church, we're in the harvest. And all around Georgetown right now, if you just take a drive, is cornfields, soybeans growing, there's life, and soon we anticipate a harvest but our God says that the harvest is now. When we think about people, when we think about our neighborhoods, it's a harvest field. That's encouraging. We're not, we get to go out there and into the harvest. God has people ready to hear, real people. Our neighbors have hard lives, image bearers. That's what human beings are. We were made to live in a relationship with Him, and we know all the pains of being cut off with Him. We chase other things. We know that people don't have what they truly need. We know that people have hardships, miscarriages, divorce, losing of jobs, family difficulties, strained relationships, financial issues. Those hearts are ripe for better news. They're ripe for seeing someone bigger than themselves that's trustworthy and true and honest that can lead and guide and be a refuge for them. So seeing the world as a harvest field, seeing people as, as ready. God has people ready. So again, we think of just following Jesus, showing the value of Jesus by passing on the gift we've received to other people. And we should be motivated by this, people ready to receive it. God's love sustains the enduring effort. And the local church is there to support, guide, teach, train, and send. We come here to get filled up to go out and share. So what does moving out look like then? That's our last section. So we leave here today, we go back to our neighborhoods where God has ordinary Christians planted with a powerful gospel. What does it look like? I just have a few this morning. And I think it, it just simply, I have three. There could be, there's a whole bunch. There's good books out there on those things. But it's simply moving out through the power of the Holy Spirit towards people with the gospel. We move out in the power of the Spirit with word in hand to people. And I want us to think about a beautiful quote. Charles Spurgeon said this. A friend posted this on Facebook the other day. This quote from Charles Spurgeon, it says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap over hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwanted and unprayed for. So that's the spirit of moving out. We want to move out to people, to lay hold of people and tell them the good news of Jesus. And one simple way we can do that that's ordinary, that's natural, and that each one of us can do is simply learn to be hospitable. Hospitality is a secret weapon. To use a, It's not a way we should think about it, but it's a... It's an untouched, un, unused tool in a lot of our lives for evangelism. And think about that. That brings us down. Remember space evangelism? It's not for me. I'm not the, the astronaut. I can't do that. No, there's nothing more natural and normal than just making a meal and inviting someone into your life. 
One commentator said that behind the word evangelism in the Bible is a love of the stranger. That's something. How close did hospitality just come to the gospel itself? Love for the stranger. Were we not spiritual strangers at one point? Having no hope until God made us his sons and daughters in the gospel? Oh, that's the heartbeat of the gospel to move out towards strangers in not a creepy and weird way. And and reach out to them, and have them in our very homes. Jesus interacted with real people. I love the stories of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is wanting to see Jesus. He climbs this tree, and there's all this crowd, and Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, you up there, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. So Jesus got right down, and he mingled with people in their homes. And I'm not advocating for invite yourself over hospitality, but just hospitality in general. And I want us to, to just pray about that. Lord, lay someone on my heart that I'm beginning to know and open a door for me to invite them into my home. That's where real relationships are formed. The gospel passes through real relationships. You get to know them. You get to hear about their life. They get to know you. And the gospel then weaves its way wisely, humbly, graciously into their very lives. Kind of a cousin to that, I would say, is one-to-one Bible reading. Pray to God too that your house could be an open house, an open heart, and that you'd have Bible in hand doing evangelism relational evangelism, one-on-one Bible reading. Hey, John Doe, we've been, we've been kind of getting to know each other for a while, and I, you've told me a bit of your story, and you know what? I've had something that's really helped me out in my life, and it's the Bible. Would you ever want to just open it up and, and read through it together? And one author wrote, that's way scarier for you to do than for them to hear. More scary for you to do than for them to hear. So let's be moving, and there, there it is. The, the, the big kind of apologetic questions that we think we can't answer we, need, we, aren't, we, aren't, we aren't made for. We have one motivation, local church. There's help in local church for those questions. And then the Bible itself. Rooting through the Bible, our questions are more conformed to the text. And people can read the living and inspired word on their own. Lastly, I think about how do we move out? If we don't move out in prayer, we won't move out at all. If we don't move out in prayer, we won't move out at all. This is more caught than taught evangelism, but we need to go out as we pray. John 15, 6 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that that fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Our God wants us to be fruitful followers of Jesus. And he's given us this amazing wartime walkie-talkie as we're down here to help, and that's prayer. And You can even pray that, Lord, you want me to bear fruit? Help me bear fruit. I need you. Help me as I try to Get to know my neighbor. Help me to open up my heart and my home for people. So I ask you to pray. Pray with us. Let this be the start of just a church that prays about the lost, cares about them enough that way. And others, simply, lastly, how do we move out? We just, we just start doing it. In our weakness, in our imperfection, we just start to practice it. My heart still races. I remember the first time I went out and did street evangelism with a friend here, and I was walking down the street, and I was like, Lord, what did I get myself into? This is terrifying. And eventually I got out and I, first few times doing it, I was like, okay, you know, this isn't that bad. And I think that once we practice, we're going to start to, to flex that muscle. And I think doing it in different places like street evangelism will make us more apt to do it in our own neighborhoods, in our own contexts. So let's start to normalize evangelism. From space evangelism to normalizing evangelism. From personalities to know just authentically in normal ways, and who you are and where you live, sharing Jesus. We have everything we need to share the gospel. God's given us his spirit. 
He's given us His Son. He's given us His Word. He's given us each other. And we're better together. We have everything we need. I want us to think about that. Again, showing the worth and value of Jesus by taking the gift that we've received and passing it along to one another. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we need you desperately. We need you to open doors. We need you to hear our prayers and answer them. We need you to um, build us up with your love. We need us to be involved in one another's lives. This can be a shelter and a refuge and a place of encouragement for those sharing the gospel. So Lord, I pray that you would give us a view of yourself that's so big and so large that it sets us on a trajectory of reaching out to the lost. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.